Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field 
by the sweat of your brow. You will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Welcome comrades, one and all, boys, girls, men, women, and everything in between on that glorious spectrum. This is an inclusive podcast. What do you think I am? Some kind of bigot? Some kind of fucking racist? You're all welcome here. All the usual stuff. Staying safe, having peaceful shifts. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 10, the longest podcast in UK Cop Podcasts' long and lamentable history. Take a big, deep coffee and lock in. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. I love that Harry Potter. Really good. Overwatched the first scene way too much there, you know, with the aunt where she blows up. I feel like I've seen that scene about 12 times. Me and Mrs. UK got a podcast, I have to skip past it. Overdone. There are no monsters to live in our home. Only me and my family live in our homes. There are no monsters that live it is currently several days, it may even be two weeks since I started recording this podcast and I record it in segments, as I explained in the first segment to confuse things. Now, this is perhaps the worst format I've used so far, fair warning. So if you're looking for smooth, slick production, I'd probably duck out now. But it's not something I'll be doing in future. It's something I tried this week and not happy with it, as you'll hear me discuss in the podcast. But I won't prattle on about that because I think this this podcast is littered enough with me providing commentary on my production skills, which are close to nil, close to nil. Um, Yeah, I don't think I'll say any more than that, other than to say... Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Sorry it's been a delay. And here we go for segment number one. Cue the interlude. And we're in. A very, very good evening to you, my friends. I don't know exactly when I'll be releasing this podcast, so I can't do the usual good evening. It's the da-da-da-da, because I am. I don't know the day. So the day I'm recording this is the... Uh, let me see if I can scroll down whilst recording. I don't think I can, actually. Um, there we go. So this is Friday the 19th by one minute. 
one minute past midnight on Friday the 19th. Or when you have zero, 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 is that, is it about to become Saturday? Or is it now? No, it must be, it must be Friday now. Zero, 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 zero of Friday the 19th. It's a funny thing about working shifts. Days just mean nothing to me. I can't think in terms of days when someone says a weekend. I've got no idea what that concept is. I, All of that stuff is so alien to me at this point that I don't, I don't use it as a frame of reference whatsoever. And I think because Mrs UK Cop Podcast is in the job as well, everything is just rest day one, rest day two, yeah, first, late, second, late, night shift one. I don't ever think in terms of days of the week and weekends. So that's why you'll notice at the start of every episode, I say to myself, hang on a minute, what fucking day is it? Where are we? I genuinely don't know. So we are now one minute in to Friday the 19th of February. But as I was saying at the top, I don't know exactly when I'll be releasing this podcast. The reason that is, uh, the reason is that I'm not going to release, I'm not going to record it all in one go. So last podcast episode, where was that? Nine, was it last time? I'll just check quickly. You should just talk amongst yourselves. Episode nine, yeah. So episode nine, I, I had to record in the middle of the night. I think I started recording around 2.30 in the morning. Which is fine, and I can get that done. But I just feel that the quality suffered a little bit. So my plan with this one, because I, lo- I no longer have a slot in the day where I can record a podcast, because my children have decided that naps are a thing of the past. So they are awake all day now. I can't really get into the subject matter with them bouncing around in the background. And more importantly... It's not really fair on them, is it, for me to be sat out in the studio kitchen uh, and them to be just entertaining themselves with Super Wings on Netflix. Bloody good programme, by the way. Any parents out there, if you're looking for bearable kids' TV to watch, get yourself on Netflix and have a little Scooby at Super Wings on the on the kids' sections on, on Netflix. It's about a plane called Jet who's a bad motherfucker. And he goes off all around the world. A little bit educational as well. They go pop over to Patagonia and do bits and pieces out there. And the basic gestalt of the show is Jet, the plane, flies off to another country for some problem. Invariably he arrives and he hasn't got the capability to deal with the problem presented to him. So he phones in some of his buddies back at base, wherever they're based. And... um, they fire up a sort of squad, so there's like a there's a team of builder planes, there's a team of uh, water-based planes that can go underwater and do submarine-esque activities. It's all very exciting. I, I'm I'm quite into it, but nevertheless, I can't just life them off on that for an hour, an hour and a half, more than that, wasn't it? Last week, two hours almost. It's not not really suitable. So. The other option is to record throughout the night. Did that last time. I feel that quality wasn't exactly where I wanted it to be. And so the alternative to that 
is what I'm going to trial this week and I'm going to record the entire podcast in segments, this being the first one. Now, if my calculations are correct, you will have heard the opening reading, which I'll be circling back to later on in the podcast, and the intro. I think the game plan at the moment is to record opening reading, then the intro song, and then come into this segment here, where I'll actually start with the the substantive points for the day, or days, as it will be in my case. I'll be recording over the next few days. The first thing I wanted to cover, put a little note in my notebook this week, about running. I've been running a lot recently. Uh, I think, genetically speaking, I'm not I'm not geared up for the running game. Um, my body type isn't one that's going to be seen breaking any marathon records anytime soon. Indeed, probably not ever. But I have been running quite a lot recently. Um, I've been pushing running for the last... I'm probably creeping up to a year now. Um, prior to that, I had, a, um, I had a torn meniscus, which I still have in my right knee. Um, I had to have some physio on it and I, for probably four or five years I essentially lifed off that sort of cardio and I thought this is just me forever now, I've done my meniscus, I uh, did it in a, in a sports injury, um, I was tackled and somebody came through, the knee went the wrong way, the usual thing with a meniscus and I put running up on the shelf and thought well it's going to have to stay there, I can't be doing with that. Um, too uh, too difficult to run and actually the physio I went to reshaped my thinking on it and said actually it's something that lots of people have and it's about coping and managing the, the, the tear in the meniscus not allowing it to become overly aggravated doing the relevant rehab icing, heating, all that sort of game and that's what I've done now I've adopted an approach where I recognise that it's, it's never going to heal it's always going to cause me pain but you know, I like the pain. So I'll push on through and I'll, I'll very much enjoy is probably the wrong word for running. I don't think I don't think running is something I, n- I never really get up and think cannot wait to go for this run. And that is not how I feel when I'm training jujitsu or boxing or going to the gym to do a big you know, clean jerk workout or circuits or a metcon or something that I do look forward to. Before what I look forward to with the running, I think are the second the secondary or second order effects that you get from the running. And I just thought I'd discuss this at the at the top here because and and I've mentioned this before, but if you're currently wondering why the fuck are these geezer talking about running on a podcast that's supposed to be about coppering in the UK. There's a lovely phrase uh, that I saw on, uh, I think his name is, or the, the the page name on Instagram is called Invicticus or Invictico. He's a he's a copper in in America, um, and he's a uh, a BJJ black belt, I think. And uh, he put a line up a while ago on his on his page that said, "Once you become a copper, you surrender the right to be unfit." And I thought that was a brilliant encapsulation of exactly how I feel about fitness, health, uh, physical well-being, well, for that uh, emotional, mental well-being as well, but I do think that you surrender that right when you're a police officer, I think it is morally irresponsible for you to be unfit, physically incapable when you are out and about 
trying to uh, combat the agents of darkness that walk among us. I do think that's it's a mistake to uh, to think that you, you you are okay to be in a in a state of unfit. So, hence why I I push on with the running, um, and I, too sexy. Uh, monitor just got. I think it's um Mrs UK got podcast is currently committed to bath and lotions and potions duty. I don't know how you women do this. I don't know how. I don't even know what these products are. It looks like a sort of alchemy lab, post bath. There's all sorts of stuff going on. I, I, I'm terrified of asking the question. Really, I, we're too far in at this point for for me to get an explanation. I sort of know the main ones, but it's just a moisturiser, isn't it? At best, I don't understand why we've got racks and racks of ointment. Um, so anyway, she'll be committed on that for the next. Oh, I don't know four days or so I'm getting a bit warm actually I'm in a woolen jumper give me two secs guys I've got to lean away from the mic oh. <laughs> I noticed as I was speaking then let's put this over here that because it's late you know just gone midnight boys are asleep upstairs I naturally adopt a sort of less um, animated tone in my voice I, I can feel that my voice is a bit more mellow I think I mentioned this last time. I'm quite into it. I quite like this still of the night to to do a podcast. And I think most of the segments that I record will be um, will be recorded at this time throughout this next four days or so when I hope to get the podcast finished. Anyway, back to running. So I was going for a run. I think it was after one of my earlies this set, and um, throughout the day I'd taken a call from the real HQ here at home and the better half of me had said uh, I won't go into the details but words to the effect of I had a bit of a step two with so and so it's one of our friends we call her um, Alice yeah she had a bit of a ding dong with Alice earlier over the phone nothing major just um, you know this has happened and she said this and I said that and and uh, Mrs. UK got podcast and Alice go way back. They're sort of like friends from the friends from nursery. You know, they go they go way back. So it's all going to be fine. But she's basically not not in a, not in a good way. I can't believe she said this. And I, is she having a laugh? And she thinks she is talking like that. Da, 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 da. And um, you know, it's it's one of those things that I know when I'm when I'm listening that this this it's going to be all right. And my my dear she-elf knows that this is going to be okay, but you know what it's like when you're in the moment of these things, you think, oh, God, this is this is so frustrating. So that's what she's explaining to me over the phone. And um, prior to that, prior to uh, uh, putting the call into me, I was having a bit of a day of it at work. And that, one of the events of that day, actually, I will, I'll talk about later on when I get into the more policey type stuff. And... Uh, so I leave work that day, having recently had this conversation, sort of in the last hour at work, I've had a bit of a day of it at work, and I'll talk about that later on. Um, and I kit up and everything, so I'm in, I'm in the running gear, and that's the other thing, that the running at the moment in, in this weather, it's, sort of for a few, it's lifted a bit now, hasn't it, but for the last week or so, we've been floating around zero, you know, minus two, minus one, uh, that's 
I'm I'm into the cold, uh, and, and funnily enough, that is a subject I'm going to discuss in just a second. But that is, you know, you you know about it when it's that cold. It's the full gloves, the snood, hoodie, everything. Um, so I'm walking back to the car. I'm thinking, oh, I really don't, really do not fancy this run. I've had slog of a day. Um, I, you know, she's at home. She's had a day of it. Uh, I'm not really up for that either because, you know, I'm not going to walk in the door and burden her with stuff I've had to deal with. If she's had a rough day, I'm going to try and absorb and deflect from from what she's what she's going through. And I'm thinking, one there's one voice inside me that's saying, the run, you know, running universally helps. And there's another voice that's saying, what is this objectively then? Tell me, what, what is this going to help? go back in a second and i'm back in the room thankfully mrs uk got podcast sprinted over the landing and the upstairs hallway dropped all the lotions and potions dived in and sorted out one out one of the boys before i could get up the stairs so all is well all all, all is resumed to a state of normality uh, i think he just wanted a milk or something so, I'm walking back to the car, thinking, uh, what is this really going to achieve me going and doing this run? Everything's going to be as it was. I'm still going to have had this day full of shit. I'm still going to have to go in and try and disaster manage this ding-dong that's gone on earlier in the day. Which, which, by the way, and mainly because she listens to the podcast, I don't mind doing, my dear. That is not, that is not what I'm objecting to here. I'm objecting to the idea of running around a, a town centre park at zero degrees after a full day of it when I've got an evening of it to come. What's it going to achieve? And I don't realise what it's going to achieve until after the run. And the thought calcifies in my head throughout the last half mile. And I start to realise that I am in an in, in order of magnitude, uh, but I am by an order of magnitude that I cannot fully relate to you, better placed to deal with what's about, what I've got to deal with. So in other words, I am, I am inexplicably improved with regards to my capacity to absorb, deflect, diffuse, um, whatever's going on at home and also to detach from what's happened in the day nothing has changed about the circumstances everything that happened that day at work still happened the bullshit phone calls I got the people moaning the, the things I guffed all still, all still the case all still true all still occurred in the past and indeed whatever I'm going to walk into whatever I need to do for the evening however many cups of tea it takes, however many episodes of RuPaul's drag, what's it called, you know what I mean, and whatever it takes to set the ship back on the appropriate course, I am better placed to deal with that now because of that run I've just done. I can't explain to you the neurochemistry that's going on there. 
I don't get that sort of voodoo. I haven't got the intellect to to articulate why that happens, but I know objectively it is experientially a word. I think it is, isn't it? Experientially, from the first person, I feel it in my bones that I am so much. I'm so much. The phraseology of that sentence is really bugging me. You can probably tell. I've tried to rework it a few times. It's not really going that well. Um, you understand the door I'm knocking on here, don't you? I am. The framing of that situation is entirely different. Uh, my, the, the thickness of my armour moving forward has greatly improved as a consequence of going for that run. Um, I think, it, oddly, it's something that you... You cannot comprehend pre-run, or it applies to any and all exercise really, but, but for me it seems to have a particular reverence with regards to the run. Um, maybe that's a personal thing, maybe it's the type of demand that's placed on the body, I don't know. But yeah, here's here's the thing, here's the, the linchpin that funnily enough has only just occurred to me as I'm as I've been articulating this. The feeling, the sensation that washes over you once the work is done or once it's coming to a close is elusive to the degree that it will evade your consciousness until you actually go through the motions of running. So the only way to get there is by one of my favourite words, discipline. The only way to ensure that you arrive at that place where you are better situated, better armed to deal with whatever's coming at you and to detach from whatever's gone by that day or that week or that month or whatever it might be. The only way to do that, the only way to get there is to maintain the discipline and run. You won't be able to do it by trying to identify the sensation that you'll achieve post-run, pre-run. Does that make sense? So the feeling, the sensation, the, the state of being that arrives after the run takes place is only attainable after the run takes place, after the work is done. So when I'm walking back to my car, it is impossible for me at that stage to feel the advantage that will be set upon me by doing the run because by definition it can only be obtained by doing the work so what I have to do in that moment is maintain the discipline I have said that I'm running and that is what I'm doing that is the plan and the plan is there to be executed it's not there to be considered or debated or wavered upon or the pros and cons weighed the plan is there to be executed. This, and this is something I'll talk about more, but this is the subtle and important difference between motivation and discipline. Motivation in that moment when I was walking back to the car was entirely absent from me. I was unmotivated. The root of the word motivation is a reason for doing. That's what the word means. One's motive 
is one's reason for doing. In that moment, I couldn't see the reason for doing, the reason for running. Because it's impossible to see that. It's impossible to feel. Because it is a feeling that can only be achieved through work. And walking back to your car isn't work. It isn't the run itself. It's the run itself that will provide that feeling. Therefore, the only way to get that run done is via discipline. The other thing I wanted to talk about with regards to running was specifically related to this cold weather. I think overall I'm enjoying this cold weather. And what I find amazing about the run is the run allows you to conquer that element. So, I leave for early's at about 4.30 in the morning. Uh, no, actually I don't, no. I, my first alarm goes off at 4.30 in the morning. It invariably beats me. The second alarm goes off at 4.45. That one, I usually vanquish. Then, I leave at about about 5.15, 5.20 and it's literally a case of running kit is laid out on the uh, on the bedroom floor I crawl into that downstairs I have a cold coffee waiting in the fridge bang that down grab my bits and bobs on the road I drive to virtually to the nick and then I run a route through the town that I parade from um, when I'm walking out to my car in the morning or when I get out of the car when I first find my parking space that cold is driving me back into the car when I'm nearby to the nick and I'm parked up or back into house and back into my house and back into bed when I first walk out of the house in other words that 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 cold weather has dominance over me I don't want to be out there I don't want to be in it uh, I can I can, I can feel my body saying, you need to get the fuck out of here. This is not a comfortable space for us to be in. And then I do the run. And I'll tell you how this thought occurred to me. So the standard operating procedure for this is drive to work, go and do the run, come back, take my sort of outer layer of running clothes off, shove that in the back of the car because there's no point carrying that into the nick fresh um, hoodie on t-shirt for the walk up to the nick there's no there's no parking uh, there's no stones throw parking I have to walk a little bit to, to actually get in so I don't want to walk there in um, especially in that weather in sweat drenched clothes so change the outer layer and right down to my, my I put a new t-shirt on so I have, a, I have like a base layer rash guard um, and then I that all comes off and put a t-shirt and hoodie back on. So I'm standing at the back of the car and a dog walker comes around the corner and clocks me at the point where I've just de-rash guarded. So I'm standing shirtless at the back of the car, about to grab my t-shirt and hoodie and put it on. And I clock the horror on this, was it a woman? Or, I can't even remember if it was a man or a woman. But what I remember is the, the, 
prove she was a woman. Doesn't really matter. But I, I clock all the all the visual indicators of shock. Uh, so the eyebrows raise, the mouth slightly drops, sort of pupils dilate and look towards me like what the fuck is this lunatic doing? Of course they're lacking the context at this point that I've I've just been for a run, so I'm nice and warm, etc. And at that point I realised I'd stopped thinking about the cold and I was looking at this person's demeanour thinking they're exactly as I was an hour ago, half hour ago, whatever it was when I was pre-run, when I was pre-elevating my body temperature, heart rate up, all the usual stuff and I I realised in that moment that the run it had allowed me to conquer that element, no longer did it have dominion over me to the degree that it was, it was pushing my mind to say get back indoors get inside you need to get out of this i'd reclaimed my uh, uh my license to be out in that in that cold in that in that, uh, in that ex- somewhat extreme weather um and I, I wasn't even thinking about it i was just merrily getting changed at the back of the car thinking about the day ahead um and that is something that's powerful about that that particular type of exercise exercise that has some some collision with the external elements it's why i like climbing mountains and fells in this country because you have this this combination of hardship against the weather and also the the physical hardship of of getting the climb done so i thought that was that was worth that was worth mentioning so if if you're uh, if you're if you're listening to this and, and running is not something that you're that you're doing, um, I highly recommend it. And um, if you are doing it, perhaps that could those those couple of points might might be a different frame to some of the advantages that I'm sure you you already feel. The last thing on this particular subject, I know this has been quite this has been quite exercise heavy, hasn't it, to, to start with? But I've got to talk about this this last bit this is so it's exercise related but it's not about um, it's not about a sensation or thought I've had as a consequence of running or doing some other exercise it's actually something that occurred to me through a conversation with a, with a colleague of mine um, I think this might be up there with some of the most important conversations I've ever had. It was, as a lot of these conversations are, it was about three o'clock in the morning, night shift, and we are cutting around, uh, cutting's probably the wrong word at that point, we're sort of moseying around, uh, trying to stay off the radar, basically. Uh, doing vehicle stops here and there, um, but nothing of any great shakes. So, we're talking away, and... Um, He's a bit older than I am, but we both have the same ambitions within the job. So my my plan once I'm once I'm done with response and there's there's still a little bit I want to I want to do on response. A few boxes I need to tick. There's a few um few things I haven't quite got my um, I haven't quite scratched the itch for on response uh, that I that I I need to get done before I move on. But my plan after that is to go as an AFO to our county ARVs. This is of course providing that I pass assessments and so on and so forth, which is which is not a mean 
which is not a uh, which is not an easy feat in itself. I'm 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 acutely aware of the difficulties that lay ahead with that particular career plan, um, and uh, I just I suppose I just like to underline that point as I say the following: my plan within that AFO world is to be a CTSFO, so a Counterterrorism Specialist Firearms Officer. For those who don't know what the the abbreviation stands for i'm not going to get into the individual mechanics of those those particular roles um suffice to say that they are difficult roles to get into um and uh, they, they they present they present a considerable challenge to to myself um which is which is part of the appeal but that world is the world that always gravitated towards throughout the job um, and when when the time is right over the next couple of years that is a transition I'll be I'll be looking to make uh, or, or die trying as they say and my colleague will call him uh, we'll call him Patrick my, my colleague has, has precisely the same ambition so not just AFO ARV also CTSFO beyond that that is his ultimate objective so CTSFO um, and I, I said to him, um, I'm going to allow myself 10 years from the point I'm at now, because 10 years time, I think that I've got other ideas as to what I want to do. And also, um, there was a, there's an age element here that I was, I was really getting at. Um, and I'm not going to, not going to just, to say what that, what that number is in terms of age for, for, for reasons that are hyper obvious, but I said to him, Ten years from now is where I think I'll be. I'll be at the end of my. I'll be at the end of my um, my power curve for effectiveness within that role. And at that point, the conversation went quiet. Now Patrick is thirty-five. And um, before I proceed, I'm going to just zoom out from the conversation slightly. I would assume. A lot of you have heard this conversation, but if you haven't, you should look up a conversation on Joe Rogan Experience. It's one of the MMA shows of Joe Rogan where he has John Danaher on, who is the the founder of the Danaher Death Squad for uh, BJJ. Uh, he's Gordon Ryan's coach. He uh, he is the is pioneer the right word. He he has heavily influenced the the Ashigarami or leg lock game within BJJ and he tells a story on Joe Rogan about the time he met Dean Lister Dean Lister uh, if you don't know was uh, originally a Sambo guy and then uh, came over to BJJ uh, he's very good friends with Jocko Willink and he also competed in MMA, Cage Warriors and UFC so anyway, John Danaher and Dean Lister are at some gym and they're training with another with a with a group of people, but over over a few days I think it is. And John Danaher explained to Joe Rogan that Mr. Lister changed I don't know if he said his life, but at least he at least says his perspective in one conversation and actually in one sentence. And that is exactly what Patrick did to me in this conversation so the line and I'm sure certainly the people who practice BJJ who listen to the podcast 
will know this will know this exchange. But for those who are unfamiliar, I will I will explain exactly what it said. John Danaher enters into a conversation with Dean Lister about Dean Lister's leg lock game. So this is prior to John Danaher developing the Ashigarami leg lock system that he's he's now renowned for. And this is something that Dean Lister, I believe he carried over from his Sambo days. I've never trained Sambo. I don't really know how much of the leg lock system uh, is in play there. But it was certainly something that Dean Lister was well known for. I think particularly particularly a heel hook was what he was known for. Anyway, not to get lost in the weeds of that. John Danaher is talking to him about it. And Dean says to him, why would you ignore 50% of the human body? And it blows John Danaher's mind. And it is a mind-blowing statement, really. I suppose not so much now within BJJ because we, we're we familiar with the leg lock game. We, we know what heel hooks are. We know knee bars. We, you know, we're aware of, uh, of that side of the game. But then at that time, I forget when this was, but, but John Danaher in the Joe Rogan interview states clearly that that is not the way BJJ was viewed at the time. Um, he, and he... Just to give a brief outline, he gives the four-part system that most people learn initially with BJJ, certainly what I learned initially. Uh, take the fight to the ground, get past the dangerous legs, that's step one and two. Um, secure a dominant position, step three and step four, effective submission. Ashigarami leg lock system doesn't fit within that four-stage system. But Dean Lister makes an incredible point. Why would you ignore 50% of the human body? It's an amazing observation. And this is what happened with Patrick. So if you remember, I just said to him, yeah, I've got you know, 10 years and that's when I want to be sort of knocking on the head because of the, the age I'll be at that point. Now, the age that Patrick will be in 10 years is 45. So he's older than me and just to get get the, the points of reference correct, 45 was subs- is substantially older than when I was saying I'll be at the end of that 10 years aforementioned. Does that make sense? So Patrick's saying, I keep going to use his real name, Patrick is saying my plan is, for, so he's in 10 years' time, he'd be 45. Um and he just turns around. So he, I, I say to him, yeah, you know, 10 years, I'm going to be knocking it on the head. And he says, and I, thought, I can't remember what he says first, but he says worse to the effect of, yeah, I don't see it that way. Um, and then he says the following, I'm going to be 45, leading the runs. And I did what I just did then. I didn't say anything. Because I couldn't say anything. And in my head, one sentence revolved around How could you limit yourself this way? How could you be such an idiot? How could you impose such an arbitrary restriction on yourself? I think I said something in the end to him like I, I played it down because I didn't want to look like that mug who's just got who's you know oh my god I said, oh my, you blow 
blown my mind. I didn't say anything like that. I just said, never thought of it that way. Actually, it did blow my mind. I, I've thought about that sentence every day since, several times a day, in fact. When I'm 45, I'm going to be leading the runs. Or, no. I'm going to be 45 and leading the runs. What a glorious attitude to have. The subtext of that statement is, I don't give a fuck about your limitations. You keep your restrictions. They're yours. And you're welcome to them. But I don't respect them. And I certainly won't be adopting them for me. I'm going to be 45 and leading the runs. Funny thing is, I don't think he even meant to say it with any real gravitas. And that made it worse. He didn't get a trumpet out before. I have an announcement to make. He said it very matter-of-factly, which is how I know it's true. He really believes this. I'm going to be 45 and leading the runs. Completely shifted my perspective. I have no idea why I was placing this arbitrary limitation on myself. No idea. And it's something I'll have to correct. It's something that will have to change. Actually, what am I saying? It's something I have corrected. It's something I have changed. I no longer think that way. That 10-year limitation I put on myself. Forget that. If that is what I want, then I'll go and take it. And I will not be imposing limitations. So that was that last point I wanted to talk about with regards to running and physical exercise, etc. You can see how that last point is. Oh, let's move the mic. Two seconds. Stay. There we go. You can see how that that last point. I hope you can see how that ties into the uh, to the two before, given the running theme. So that will conclude my segment for this evening it's a little bit strange doing it this way because for me there'll be a there'll be a day now to elapse between the half a second that will elapse for you when you hear my voice but I don't I don't really want to actually let me rephrase that I really don't want to do anything but be 100% authentic on here so if I'm taking a day between segments on a podcast I'm going to tell you about it because I there's no production here this is just me sat in my kitchen with a mic and I think when you start trying to or if I were to start fiddling things around uh, to start um, 
trying to make the podcast sound as if it was filmed in one one occasion actually it was over several days i think it would it would reek of of a it would be inauthentic to the degree that I, I I wouldn't be proud to put my name to it. Not that my name is on here, but you get the idea. Um, I want this. I want this to be. I think the only way this works is uh, is via a stone cold obligation to authenticity. So therefore, I will be uh, I'll be as authentic as I can as I can possibly be, um, and that will include letting you know that I'll be resuming the recording in about a day's time when I'll be moving on to more specifically coppering related stuff so if that's what you come for keep those earphones in my friend and uh, I'll be back in a couple of seconds or so and we're back on not sure I'm a big fan of this segmented podcast malarkey just feels a little bit odd not having a continuous conversation so since the last segment you heard which I think is going to have been my PMB entry for this week and then there's an Instagram video or, or a video rather that's going around on Instagram of that Met Copper uh, having to defend herself against a man who's stabbing her in the face with a pen. I think you should have heard those two, and then you'll be hearing this, and this is the last segment of the day. So, it, it just feels that the the flow and rhythm of the conversation, the, the, the natural cadence that occurs with that longer form, uninterrupted, is being slightly lost with this form. I'll, I'll play around with it and see how we go. I don't know if you're picking that up, but that's my dog in the background. Excuse me. I'm not doing that now. I'm not doing that now. Bring it in. Bring it in. Right. As you can tell, I'm sort of the master of the house here. He's ran straight over and dropped the slipper. Which is of course the exact opposite of what's happened. He's just running around in the living room like a cunt. Stop that. Don't make me come over there and get it. Stop it. Stop. I don't even know if you're picking that up in the background, quite frankly. But you may pick up this. Which is the old whiskey ice because it is late in the evening, half past 11 now, so it's whiskey o'clock, isn't it? Throughout this segment, you'll notice the theme as I roll forward, but as always, I think I'll just move through it and allow you to identify the theme, to use an overused word, organically, rather than me spell it out for you in any pretext. So, we start off with a late that I did last set I think I'll come in and pre-brief him Skipper gives me a nod and says ah just a man I'm going to tip you out mate got a job for you I'll say okay yeah cool what we got he says yeah I've got a 
historic sexual offences, uh, father versus daughter, I'll need an MG11. So yeah, no worries, um, sexual offences, work, work and all that sort of stuff will need to be done. Yeah, cool, no drama. And uh, so I get my kit on and shoot out. He says, yeah, lovely. And I can tell I'm missing something. I sort of look across, this is a, across the briefing room, as I say, pre-briefing, so people are sort of milling around and getting sat down. And um, I say, there's more in there, there's something else, there's something I'm not, what's up? <laughs> he sort of half laughs and goes, yeah, they're, um, we need to do a bit of damage control, mate. I say, oh, Roger, shall I? Should I sit down or what's the crack? What's going on? What have we what have we done or not done or said or not said or what's the score? He said, Yeah, you know, um and I I use a fake name. You know Harriet from the previous rotor. Well, she attended. Um and at this point I'm thinking, I do know Harriet, but previous rotor, she's not on early, she'd have been Nights, I think, or late yesterday, or something. I can't quite follow the thread here. I'm gonna have to take that from him. I don't even know if you can hear it in the background, but it's gonna bother me. He's charging around the house with a slipper. Two secs. damage control, Harriet's been out of this job already, it's okay, and I know Harriet, she's a good copper, I'm thinking, what sort of ball have we dropped there, oh, he's got the other fucking slipper, this is really starting to get on my tits now, says yep the thing is there's a few things that have been missed so okay it's historic though right so what is it safeguarding stuff that's not been dealt with because I'm thinking historic sexual offence surely surely we've managed the the immediate safeguarding insofar as there is any I mean typically with historic sexual offences, the suspect victim proximity is remote, generally speaking, um, or at least in this case, given we got father-daughter, I'm thinking adult-child now, so perhaps not an immediate safeguarding risk. Anyway, Skipper says, read the job, mate. So, okay, yeah, right, Roger. 
and start reading through and I'll, I won't I'll spare you the detail it's the usual grim shit as you can imagine father versus daughter and Skipper keeps sort of looking over and he says have you got to the Sergeant's review yet? I said no no I'm still on the original crime update from Harriet he says yeah okay right well, let, let me know when you get there and you'll um you'll see what I mean and I get there and I do see exactly what he means so it's been reviewed by two sergeants one on response and one on our safeguarding team so a detective sergeant the latter and they have really wound it on um, so to sum up nothing has been missed that would present the victim with an immediate risk the, the spin in the NDM the threat harm and risk is all low I can't catch a break this evening oh, Jesus Christ woe is me I've got, now I've got a child waking up <laughs> I'll have to pause it and come back to you I really hate when I catch myself saying something that would make me recoil from somebody else were they to say it when I hear things like that come out of my mouth can't catch a break it really gets to me because the words seem to fly off my tongue before I've really comprehended the gravity that they infer and the reason it tortures me is because after I've said those things my immediate sequence of thoughts is what the fuck are you saying how much of a 24 carat fucking pussy are you can't catch a break oh what your adorable child is crying so you need to go and give him half a bottle of milk fuck me I I really do try my absolute best to keep perspective on uh, on what catching a break or being unable to catch a break really is <laughs> I'm, I'm as human as the next person and sometimes those things get away from me and um I just have to suffer my own reprimand afterwards and that reprimand is as mentioned above me essentially tormenting myself in my own head saying uh, words to the effect of you having a fucking laugh um, anyway returning back to the subject at hand these two sergeants are winding in one review after the other and in fairness to them they're raising valid points. This is not stuff that is totally unwarranted, but the manner in which it's being delivered is, as far as I can tell, completely unnecessary. There is no need to be as vindictive, as barbed as they're being. Harriet is about a year and a half in, so she's young in service, and she's not from policing background before she's not had a civilian role special constable PCSO that sort of thing so she is straight off the street I think she's even fresh out of uni she's a good copper she has honest intentions and she with this job 
she really meant well. There were just a few boxes that weren't ticked, but there was no threat harm risk elevated by her actions, none whatsoever. These were more points of protocol and procedure that should have been done, but I, th- I think that the manner in which the, the, the feedback, I hate that word by the way, I don't know if that's used around the country in all forces, but in my force, feedback is a code word for, let me sit you down and tell you about the things you fucked up, which, by the way, I don't have a problem with that. I think I talked about this on the last episode. You're going to do very poorly in this job if you're unable to deal with someone with a funny shape on their shoulder saying, yeah, mate, you fucked up. That's not a problem. But I think whenever I'm interacting with somebody at work, or scrap that, whenever I'm interacting with somebody, I'm essentially operating on a golden rule. That golden rule being, let's see how I can use this conversation to improve my relationship with this individual or the group of individuals that I'm currently interacting with. Because relationships are the thing that allow you to make action in the world. These two sergeants that have reviewed Harriet's job, they have destroyed a relationship with that PC. She will never turn to them when she needs assistance or guidance. She will never arrive at their office door when she needs something answered that may assist her development to being a better copper. And again, just to underline, she's a good copper. But we all, we all knock those doors. Me, about ten times a shift, and say, sorry, I don't know what I'm doing here. Where do I need to go? What reference book do I need to read? What, Where on the internet can I find this? What drawer is this forming? Uh, I can't make head and tail of this call log. It's a part of the job. The first thing I think those sergeants are missing is that one day, although it doesn't feel like it right now, they will require something from Harriet they will have an objective in mind that they need Harriet to be on board to facilitate. And how do they think, I would ask them, that Harriet will respond in that environment now? Her interactions with these two skippers, for I'd I'd argue, unless there's some turn in the tide, the majority, or if not indeed, the full full, uh, uh, time of her remaining service, will be tinted by this one interaction that they have uh, they have had with her now if your objective is as a copper is to do good is to is that well i think the, the that police police statement of common purpose sums up really well prevent crime pursue and bring to justice those who break the law protect help and reassure people be seen to do all of this with integrity, common sense, sound judgment. If that's your objective in mind, how on earth is lashing some 18-month PC on a, on a crime report entry log serving that objective? How is it serving it? 
secondly to that, do you really think that this, this manner of speaking, this destructive tone you've taken against this individual, do you think that's aiding her as a copper? Of course, there are times when we need robust interactions between coppers. If we're out in a town centre and someone with stripes on their shoulders says, mate, he needs coming in, they need separating, he's gone off up that way, I'm not going to stand in the street and say, uh, sorry, Sergeant, oh, I've got another contingency I think you might want to consider, point four of your NDM. I'm not going to do that. If someone with stripes on their shoulders is saying, go and do that, mate, in that type of environment where it's time critical, and plates are up in the air, and the balloon's up, the wheel's spinning, all the other analogies we use, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to understand that the interaction is going to be robust. But this wasn't like that. This was somebody, two people in fact, those two sergeants, sat in a room in a calculated manner, tapping away on a keyboard, putting things on a call log, on a, on a crime report log, that the subject of, uh, of, of which they're talking about has no recourse to defend herself because she's not even in at that point. It's not a, it's not a dialogue, it's not a conversation, which is a, it's a whole other tangential, if I say that word right, it's a whole other tangent to go down, which I'll, I'll try and avoid to keep this, to keep this on task. My baseline point here, to begin with at least, because I've got a couple of other things to say on this, is how on earth is that serving the objective that we're all supposedly here to achieve, and how on earth is that helping that young copper? Which in turn renders her less useful at serving the objective. Don't get it. This feeling that I had when I was reading this call log, which is essentially, at the time it wasn't outlined in the in the uh, somewhat clumsy, although I would say introspective, introspective, um, uh, interesting uh, prose that I've just relayed to you. Um, it was more sort of, oh, for fuck's sake, why why do it like this? Why why manage it this way? Um, the other thing that occurred to me was, well, no, actually no, it, did, it occurs to me the following day actually when I, when I get an update from a colleague of mine who has had a conversation with Harriet. So, um, one of my colleagues would call him um, uh, Jacob. Jacob comes over to me in the office the following day. says, oh, I saw Harriet. Um, she said to say thanks to you for going around and squaring that job up. I said, yeah, yeah so, you know, no worries. I said, how is she? And uh, he went, yeah, not, not great, actually. Um, and um, I said, go, go on, what, what, what happened? He said, well... Saw her wherever out in the yard or or whatever, and I uh, said, "Oh, you know, um, James. I saw James going out. So that job that looked like not very good, nasty father daughter thing." And uh, her reply apparently to Jacob is, uh, "Oh, you um, yeah, you mean a job that ruined my confidence." 
Jacob had much the same reaction as I did, which was, oh, fuck. Because that is the last thing you want to hear a copper say. If you are, as a police officer, a warranted constable, you need a certain amount of self-scrutiny. But to be lacking confidence, that can be a real disadvantage. Um both from a, a purist decision-making point of view, but also from an officer safety point of view, a personal safety point of view, the safety of your colleagues. If you're, if you're in a combative environment and you're not comfortable making decisions based on your own, your own methods of reasoning, that can go very wrong very quickly. So it's never something that you, you want to hear as a colleague. So Jacob says to me, yeah, he said, it gets a bit worse as well. He said, um, she goes on to say that basically she's, she feels like all the confidence she's built up over the last, however long she's been in the job has been sort of destroyed by that job. And, um, I was sort of wanting to get up and say, oh, you know, where is she? I'm going to have a chat with her. But I, I didn't because I, I, I don't look like that white knight knobhead who sort of go charging over there, there, my dear, let me, let me tell you a thing or two. I just, you know, she's a she's an adult. She she she'll manage this in her own way. I'm sure her team is right behind her. I could tell my skipper didn't think it was cool how it had been managed, and I think that, frankly, the 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 way that the two sergeants have processed it is um it's quite apparent to any fair-minded copper that this is not it's not really cricket. So I left it, I didn't say anything to her, but I think what I would say is, and I'd, I'd say this to anyone, including myself actually, I find myself giving myself this talking to a fair bit, and that is that in this job there are layers of contact with the subject at hand. So as the PC, as the warranted constable on the ground, you are face to face boots literally on the ground dealing with uh, with the incident in front of you that type of proximity that lack of space standby one it's a tense moment when that baby monitor goes um, that that lack of space that That feeling of input coming from all directions and the, the the swelling requirement to make a call, make a decision. That is a difficult thing to deal with as a as a human being. And the reason we have sergeants and inspectors, chief inspectors and all the way up there is precisely because it is hard to make the best decision when you are immediately in front of the subject of hand. The best way the decisions are made are when the decider, the one charged with making the decision, is entirely detached from the moment at hand. Now that is impossible to do as a copper because by definition, if you are making decision about an incident that requires police attendance, 
you are the police officer in attendance. You therefore cannot detach entirely. What's really important is you detach insofar as you can. But complete detachment is impossible. That would require a robotic mind that would be no good as a police constable. So what we've done, I say we, I had very little to do with it myself. But what the organisation has done, cleverly, has built in these layers, each of which is further detached from the one that preceded it, from the incident at hand. So the PC is right there, in the pub, with the bloke shouting, with the glasses smashing, with the stilettos raised in girlfriend's hand. He or she is right there in that moment. What he or she has to deal with is the immediate threat, harm and risk. And secondary to that, we have the skipper. He sat in the office. He or she, I'm just saying he because I'm a male skipper, but he, my skipper, will sit in that office with that pub job going on and he is far further detached from the PC in the pub dealing with the glasses smashing and the shouting and the booze all over the floor etc etc so his decision making ability is is improved to a degree that is quite a tasty phrase coming up axiomatically correlated with the level of detachment that he has at that time likewise to extrapolate this further the force incident manager, the FIM, sat up in the ivory tower in that control room. He's even further detached from the sergeant. For example, he doesn't know the PCs involved. He's entirely... I keep using he, don't I? This is because my FIM and my sergeant are both male. But I am, of course, for any of you weary fucks out there, I am, of course, aware that females can be sergeants and females can be fims. I'll flip it around in a minute so you feel better about yourselves. The sergeant and the fim are operating at levels of further detachment than the PC on the ground. And going back to the fim, the fim is further detached from the sergeant in that he or she doesn't even know the coppers that are dealing with the incident. There's no personal bias involved whatsoever. And you can see how this method of detachment and its axiomatic correlation with the improvement of decision makings extends the further you go up the ranks. Now, there is a, a dichotomy here. You, by the way, I'm using lots of, lots of words that are part of the... Uh, what we will call the Willickian lexicon and uh, for those of you out there who got that reference uh, I shall use the appropriate uh, greeting good evening Echo moving swiftly on the, there's a dichotomy here in that the force, the force incident manager, the FIM can become so detached, can have so little personal involvement 
that their decision-making ability can be impeded by the fact that they are twice removed from the situation at hand. So there, there is a dichotomy to be managed, and I don't think I'm going to waste any more time on this particular point of fleshing out examples of when that greater degree of... Excuse me, that whiskey's getting the better of me. When that greater degree of detachment is um, is serving as a detriment to decision-making, generally, it's an improvement. And certainly with this situation, going back to Harriet, I would fully expect a sergeant sat in a nice, warm office with a decent brew on the go to be able to sit there and go, okay, we may have not crossed that T, we may have not dotted that I, there's stuff here that's missing, the nuts and bolts of this job aren't quite where they need to be. I would fully expect that. That's that's the way this system works. It's designed that way. Those levels of detachment, the the supervisory reviews, the rank structure itself is a kind of a safety net against the police constables, the, which is to say the human beings' inability to detach fully from the moment in front of them. What needs to be severely reprimanded, perhaps reprimanded in the way that Harriet was on this job, is if someone is making decisions that are not with the best intentions. If someone is sloping out of work or writing something up not as it should be because it involves less paperwork or it's going to get the job filed off and the officer won't carry on their workload. That sort of shit needs to be stamped out and gone. But if it is apparent, which I would argue in this case, it was absolutely apparent that Harriet was making the best decision she could with the information available to her, then as far as I'm concerned, the type of criticism that was levelled at her is wrong. And I think, in fact, you know, um, there's an ACPO risk principle. Uh, off the top of my head, it's the eighth risk principle uh, that states something like um, you should be judged... Two seconds. You should be... Your decision-making should be judged on the information that was available to you at the time and not the information that was presented thereafter. I'm paraphrasing that badly. Um, And much of the criticism that was levelled at Harriet was stuff... was, was based on things that weren't readily apparent to her at the time. Now, one could argue that there was further legwork she could have done to ascertain that information and then respun her NDM and made a different decision. However, she didn't fail to seek out that information through laziness or because she just couldn't be asked with the job. She was four hours late off of a shift. Four hours late. That isn't someone... I would respectfully submit to you, Sergeant. That isn't someone shirking work. And that is a call for me. I think I might leave it there because I've got to run. Back soon. And I'm back in. 
So I don't like the segment thing. It's weird. I thought it might work. I thought it might be a way to get more done and have more of a zing to each particular input, each particular subject of conversation. But I think the problem is twofold. So firstly, let's get the chronology sorted. I'm now speaking to you a couple of days after I recorded the last segment. Going back to those two things, I think the first problem is that the the normal rhythm of a, of a podcast being recorded over one conversation on one day is being severely disrupted by this patchy format that I'm using. Secondly to that, what was the second thing? Oh yeah, the second thing is that I am severely underestimating how much I've got to say about each individual subject. And I think what happens is, I have an idea and I think, oh yeah, that'll be something that's good to discuss. That'll be something that is worth bringing to the table and expanding on. And I'm not quite grasping just how much expansion there is to a particular subject because when you speak something aloud when you place your subject your point of interest through that final screening of your mouth it undergoes the subject itself undergoes a level of scrutiny that I think is probably impossible when it's still inside your own head so you end up essentially thinking of different ideas uh, that bolt on to the initial idea that you had. And therefore, sometimes I'm tripling or quadrupling the amount of time I wanted to spend on one particular subject. So I think for the next podcast, what I'll do is we'll, we'll bring the subject list right down. So whereas like this podcast, I had all sorts of stuff written down that I wanted to cover. And I thought it would take me about a quarter of the time to cover those things. I think in the future, I'll just do, even if they're shorter podcasts, going back down to that sort of half hour mark, but just covering the one or two subjects. I think that's a better way to do it because this format, is, I'm not happy with it at all. So I can only apologise for that, but we're now in the thick of it. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stick with it. I think what I will do the app that I use to record these podcasts is called Anchor, by the way. If anyone's interested in setting up a podcast, really brilliant app for it. It's so easy. It has an option to put interludes. So if I've worked out how to use that feature, which, to be fair, it looks just like a drag-and-drop option, if I've worked out how to use that, you will hopefully have heard interlude music between each segment to try and give it some structure. Also... I'm going to have to put a segment right at the beginning and outline exactly a, a roadmap through this podcast because there are things that I've mentioned that looking at the time I've got total recorded so far, I'm just going to have to drop all together because otherwise this is going to be three hours long. So there'll be stuff that's being brought up as, oh, I talked about that earlier. And actually now I've got no intention of recording that on this podcast. It'll have to form part of the next podcast or 
one of the subsequent ones after that. So a short debrief then as to where I am right now. So it is currently 0306 post late turn. I was off late unfortunately, I was due to finish at 11. I uh, ended up considerably later than that. Dealt with a rape unfortunately, a historic rape against uh, a bloke who's um, severely unwell. He's got uh, mental health issues and um, he's, he's reported numerous offences and uh, turns out on, on initial attendance actually it was just the rape that was uh, the only outstanding or, or new offence to us. The others have, have all been reported so uh, a small mercy in the sense that it was just a case of managing this this one disclosure of a rape against himself as opposed to the 12 or 13 other potential offences he disclosed on the call. I think it came to a head in the control room and the call centre where they just, this bloke is he's so garbled in the way he speaks and communicates that trying to type on a keyboard and speak to him on the phone and rein him in, bless him, is, uh, is very difficult and they, they'd come to a point where they just couldn't invest any more man hours trying to ascertain what exactly was new information and what was already disclosed to the police. Stand by one. Very mindful that is particularly late at night and uh, the mom of the house has work in the morning. I really don't want to be disturbing her and also she probably won't be particularly impressed I'm doing this at this time so my uh, uh, my, my love above all others when you do hear this I am sorry for recording at this time but I need to get this podcast finished so I shall try for your sake to exercise brevity loving one steak moving swiftly on uh yeah, this job, this rape uh, made me late. Um, very difficult guy to manage. Um, as I say, particularly unwell and needed to be constantly reined in and kept on on task. Uh, part of the job, isn't it? It's, uh, you become somewhat accustomed to, to dealing with people who don't interface with the world in uh, in what we, I suppose we would regard as a normal manner. Um, I don't know exactly what his diagnosis is. Um, the symptoms are simply that he finds it very difficult to stay task-focused and he gets muddled about things. And um, the more pressure that's put on him, to clarify what he means or to uh, speak in a way that is chronological. The more worked up he gets and the more muddled he gets and then the more frustrated he gets. So difficult situation to manage but got there in the end just a little bit late and then came home and I've just done my kettlebell workout in the living room and my what else did we do? Oh, I did some striking work, some just some shadow boxing stuff, and then some.
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu drills. One of those workouts where I really didn't fancy doing it. So I did exactly what I had to do. Had a nice heaped teaspoon of cement and got the fuck on with it and did it. Um, BJJ drills, by the way, if you're going to do work where you're playing from a guard position, so if you don't do BJJ, as if you're sat, sat or led down on your back, uh, if you're going to do, do that when you've had a day of it and you're feeling a little bit like you could crawl into bed, uh, maybe work on a top game or a passing drills because the floor, a nice soft carpet, is, uh, is a little bit too tempting if you are feeling tired. And there were a couple of moments down there where I paused too long in between sets. I nearly ended up there for the evening. But in the end, I scraped myself off the floor, poured myself an invigorating tonic. And now I'm here with you. I am... I'm mindful now I'm speaking really quietly. I have done a little mic check before I started recording. I'm sorry if you're having to turn this right up or indeed if it's if it just sounds weird because I'm speaking so quietly, but nothing I can do about it, I'm afraid. I think that's essentially it for the debrief, nothing of any any great note there. Um still within the same theme as the last segment you heard. I'll talk about this job I was deployed to uh, last set. Uh, just about halfway through a late shift. And, um, oh, two secs, I just got to check something, two secs. Sorry about that, back with you. So, get deployed to this job. This is domestic. One of the boys is definitely awake or moving around up there. And I'm just waiting for the monitor to go. That's where I had to go a second ago. I was certain the monitor was going to go in the background. I shall press on. So, deploy to this domestic. And really dubious, because the, the top of the call log reads... Uh, Informant's calling because she needs a reference number for a housing association to fix her door. So I think, oh yeah, good, alright, cool. She's reporting criminal damage. Now, the type of criminal damage that she is reporting, I won't specify exactly what it is in the service of her, of, of protecting her anonymity, but it is damage that one could cause to one's own door uh, in an effort to get in um, if you if you made a mistake or were too forceful with the door I'll allow you to to fill in the blanks or use your imagination the, the detail is not really important it's just one of these these instances where I think yeah okay did someone criminal damage your door or do you just need your housing association to front the payment for your new door so you need to make a quick phone call to the old bill to get a reference number. Anyway, go out to the job 
and um, she's gone to uh, a family member's address, which is in the in the neighbourhood, about three or four roads over, because she can't actually get in to her her own property because of the damage that's been caused. So I'll go and go in. I'm chatting away and just doing the small talk bit to begin with. I've never met her before. Uh, for this story, we'll call her Josie. So Josie's saying to me, yeah, um, you know, this has happened. Um, didn't call up initially. Just tried to get it sorted through the Housing Association. But they've said they can't move on it until I've got a crime reference number. And uh, I said, okay. So... At this stage, what makes you think this was your ex-partner who's done this? Because, did I mention that? Sorry, she, she had mentioned on the call log. No, had she mentioned it? Let me think back. Yes, that's it. She had mentioned it, she, but there was a key detail she left out. So she said, on the call log, I think my ex-partner's done this. And when I asked her, what makes you think that? Have you got any, not anything evidential that's suggestive of that uh, proposition? No, she said, um, but I know him. Uh, she said, I'm sure you've seen the history. At this point, I'm thinking, I haven't read the history, really. I, I saw on the iCAD that she had previous for domestics, but haven't really looked into it, which is not ideal. But, you know, it's, you get deployed, you go to a job, it, just seems like she wants a reference number. I, I didn't spend hours in the office printing out the call log and busting out the highlighters, etc. Anyway, I said no, no. I'm not particularly au fait with the with the history. She says, "Yeah, okay. Well, well, there's also this incident that's happened at this address. So remember, she said a family member's address. I said, oh, okay. She goes on to report a further criminal damage there. Um, it shows me some photos of damage that's occurred. And I think, okay. Um, now this this damage, uh, something's been thrown at the address. Um, a, a food item that could be easily cleaned off. So whether or not it's criminal damage or not, uh, I'm sceptical. I know this. Half the coppers you meet will say, yeah, it's definitely criminal damage because it, it costs her effort. And it, right down to the point where she has to... Uh, pay for the water that's used to clean it so she's at a financial loss she uses my phone said yeah I think it's him have you seen the history and then oh yeah she discloses this this other occurrence of criminal damage at the house she's currently at I said okay um I said oh yeah 
we're talking about whether it's criminal damage or not. So yeah, a food item has been thrown at thrown the address. Half the coppers say, yeah, criminal damage, she has to pay for the water. So a financial loss, criminal damage. The other half will put usually use that phrase, easily cleaned, and therefore not criminal damage. It's not particularly relevant either way, uh, but she's she's disclosing this incident has occurred. And that, that has occurred the night after the initial criminal damage at her home address. So, I say, okay, um, I take all the details. I'll go through the domestic risk assessment and all that sort of stuff. And I should point out that it is at this point that I realise that her ex-partner is a proper bastard. He is um, what we would affectionately call in the job a slag. He is as high risk as it gets, essentially. Um, uh, how much detail do I want to give on that? Not actually, we'll leave it there. Just take my word for it. He's a wrong one. He's got every warning under the sun. He's got a criminal history as long as a... Uh, as long as one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he's a villain. So I'm sort of looking on my like uh, my little computer that I take around to these jobs. I'm looking, I'm looking through the history, thinking, yeah, this is not a nice bloke. And um, she's in the process of getting a non-molestation order. There's other things bubbling around in the background. Um, the main takeaway, not a nice guy. That being said, um, I'm still thinking there's nothing there's nothing that immediately points to him that isn't circumstantial. Uh, I note that we've essentially got two addresses that have been uh, criminal damaged we'll just use the words criminal damage for the second incident for, for ease of conversation within two nights of each other um, oh and I should say there is an there is an impending court case um, that's in the in the not too distant future and there's been some events going on in the background leading up to this court case that would explain why hypothetically he might have been uh, purposed to, to come and do something to her address and then the family member's address that she has, um, she's gone to stay with. So I'll take all the details and I'll leave us and I'll essentially leave it with her like, um, I need to, I need to read through my notes and come back to you on how exactly we're going to record this and how exactly we're going to proceed and she is totally fine with that she's not looking to uh, you know she she knows that we haven't got anything we've got the offenses themselves um, and her allegation but we have not got anything of any substance uh, by way of evidence So I'm sat there writing it up afterwards, and I've decided at this point 
I'm not going to record it as domestic. I'm going to detail in the report that she is alleging that, but we've got we've got nothing to suggest it is. And all the way through writing that report, I'm feeling uneasy. And I've put it to my colleagues in the room, and all of them have said, yeah, it's, she's. this has happened to her address. Um, she's not seen him, no one's seen him. Uh, could have anyone, could have even been her. Um, and the incident that occurred at her family members address nearby the night after could have been kids, could have been coincidental, could have been anything. Yeah, it needs to be recorded, but to name him as a suspect, perhaps not. And I'm going, yeah, 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 you're right, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. Still not happy about it though. And anyway, it gets to probably 20 minutes after I'm supposed to have finished, I'm sat in the office, I'm sort of topping and tailing it. And I'm still not happy with it. So I, I pick up the phone and uh, call what is now the, the night turn sergeant because my sergeant has actually left. He's you know checked them all right, but has been in for three hours before our shift started, so he's Fox Roskud. And so I call her night turn sergeant and uh, I'll explain to her what I've got and what my plan is. And uh, she says, and I agree with her, she says, yeah, you could you could write this up either way. Um, so why are you calling me? I said, I'm just, I'm just not happy with this. Um, it seems extraordinarily unlikely that these two events occur in such, uh, with such a short amount of time elapsing between the two. And they've got all the domestic history in the world. He is a barbarically violent individual. Uh, only with, I have to say, uh, females that are about half his size. So he's a particularly brave chap. Uh, and it's not. this is not sitting right with me that we're not recording this as domestic. So... Because we're not recording it as a domestic, as the coppers who are listening will know, but just for the people who aren't in the job that are listening. So if I'm not recording this as a domestic, the, the, there's no referrals going to the relevant domestic support services. There's no safeguarding review being done on it by our safeguarding team. None of that is happening. It's essentially going to be binned at the first point of contact with a police officer. So the sergeant comes back to the same sentence. You can write this up either way. Um, but the important thing is, did you believe her? And I thought, that's a really good question. And it really caught me off guard because we went from all of a sudden talking about the facts and the information present and the difference between uh, circumstantial and uh, objective uh, objective evidence and we went to my perception which is 
something that can't exactly be calibrated in language. Did you believe her? And I, I said, yeah. I believe her. I believe that it's him. She said, right, well, you need to factor that into your decision making then. And uh, it's a good bit of sergeanting because she left it there. So, after several hours of work and um, sort of half hour, 40 minutes post shift, which I was at this point, I deleted both crime reports and started again and recorded a domestic incident uh, and sort of uh, hung both crime reports from that that one that one domestic uh, which of course changes the gearing of how we're going to deal with this and it, it now has those referrals and reviews that I was speaking about and it it took me another two or three hours etc but I went home and I slept fine. And as I got off the phone to that sergeant and I was back to making the decision on my own, I I thought to myself, you have to remember why you're here, mate. You have to remember why you want to do this job. You need to identify with that aspect of yourself and make your decision in accordance with that. And the reason that occurred to me is because this wasn't like most domestics that we go to. You know, most domestics we go to are just another episode of dysfunction. Uh, I've talked about this previously, but most domestics we go to, five times out of ten, of attending one couple, person A will be the suspect, and on the other five times, they will be the victim. And it oscillates back and forth, and you might go to a domestic where there are four crimes and Mum's a legend against son, and son is a legend against brother, and brother's a legend against dad, and the goldfishers have become involved, and uh, there was an incident yesterday, so we're running on that, and there's hang on, there's a DBPO in place for you, and that type of existence for a certain kind of family, uh, I use the word advisedly, but that type of existence for a certain kind of family is simply a way of being. But it isn't like that for Josie, actually. This isn't a dysfunctional family. This is an abuser and a victim. She is squeaky clean. 
no form whatsoever. Not that that would make a difference, by the way. I'll simply make the observation that most domestics that we deal with, you are dealing with somebody who is in equal parts suspect and victim if you look at the spectrum of their police history. Josie is not like that at all. She is a textbook, almost cartoonish victim. Um, and he is a menace to society. And the reason I do the job, and I think it's the reason that we all do the job, is to hunt down people like that. And in the same breath, I know, as I'm contemplating what to do on this job, it's going nowhere anyway. we got nothing. There's no CCTV, there's no witnesses, there's no house-to-house -house possibility. There's nothing. It's still the wrong thing to do to look into that person's eyes and believe what they're saying and because it's administratively convenient to not record a domestic it's wrong to do what is administratively administratively convenient so I record a domestic and the payoff for me comes when uh, I get to interview him. And the funny thing about it is he knows that I've got nothing. From a legal standpoint he knows I've got nothing. But for me, that's not really the point. The point is that now he knows that we know. Now he knows that she has come to us. now he knows that he cannot operate in this way unchecked I think it's probably worth me underlining at this point that there are some other elements some other pieces of information that come to light between my deciding to record as a domestic and the arrest attempts going in on him that further serve, serve to strengthen my hypothesis to the point where I, I believe I've got well over 25% suspicion that he is the person responsible for doing this all of the evidence is circumstantial but there is 
perhaps overwhelming is the strong as a too strong a word, but there is a considerable amount of circumstantial evidence that points to him as a suspect for this. And in that interview room, that reasoning, that thought process of you have to remember why you do the job, that was further affirmed to me in that interview room. As I was sitting opposite him, and I was observing his efforts to remain smug and relaxed, um, I kept being interrupted by the images of her face that I've seen from previous incidents. Uh, a face, by the way. Uh, where well you, you, you cannot see her eyes because she's been beaten by it so badly uh, for which there's no conviction by the way no conviction at all he walked free from every single one of those assaults in fact there are no open investigations um, apart from this one which is now due to be filed but I don't think that's the point. I think there is, with these type of people, there is, there is a purpose to the policing of disruption. Bringing him in under caution, getting him in an interview room, putting the allegation to him, it disrupts his method of operation in the world. He is, like all domestic abusers, a creature of control. And in custody, by definition, because he does not have his liberty, he is not in control. Now, just to make a short rebuttal to anyone out there that thinks this man is legally innocent, you won't find an argument from me against that. He's legally innocent, absolutely, and he should, was, and will be afforded. I've messed the, sen the sentence up there slightly, the, the tense of it, but bear with me. Um, he will be afforded all of the rights that this country provides to persons suspected of committing offences and are therefore being detained in police custody. That's why PACE exists, to codify the way we treat persons who are suspected, suspected of an offence. He's treated in exactly the same way as all other persons in there, by myself and by everyone else. But the act of bringing him in there is significant. He is one of those people that make a mockery 
of those who would say there is beyond the hill somewhere a utopia in which man is good to man for its own sake and that a state oversight a policing body the idea of the warranted constable is obsolete the second someone starts talking like that you should take it as a vote of assurance that they know nothing of the world and that they have experienced nothing of the world now I don't claim to have an unbiased perspective uh, the nature of this job brings me to close proximity with these people but it's important for everyone to know that these people walk among us this guy doesn't have a t-shirt on that says I beat my girlfriend so badly that you could not see her eyes you'd walk past him in Tesco they really do walk among us and that is why I do the job to let those people know that they cannot operate unwatched that there is a body of people who are missioned despite their limitations to terminating those operations and to ending those patterns of behaviour it is unfortunately an impossible task to complete in full but a full completion isn't the objective a full completion in this case would have been a conviction in a court of law never going to happen but that arrest, that interview under caution that is a small victory it is that message of, of uh, assurance to the victim that we will react to the report she makes and to the suspect that we are watching him and so I, I pass that on for what it's worth if you're ever at the crossroads like that like I was I would recommend uh, for the purposes of your own sleep that you try to identify with your with your rationale for doing the job with your reason for being there in the first place 
try not to think about the fact that you're already late. Although you've dealt with seven shit jobs already today. Because none of those things will count in the end. I don't make any claim to be uh, an exemplar of this type of decision making, I'm sure. There are innumerable situations wherein I've my decision making has been maladjusted in accordance with my initial reason for doing this job, my my reasoning for being here. But in, on this occasion, I made the right call, and uh, and I was conscious of doing doing so. So I thought it was worth talking about. Um, that's it for that's it for this segment, uh, folks. I um, I'm going to finish this whiskey and get to bed for a few hours. There is one more point I think I want to discuss and then I'll I'll wrap things up and we'll conclude and as I say, moving forward I think we'll do shorter episodes and it's recorded on one occasion I think has got to be the way forward. Um, I shall see you in the next segment. The final segment. This is where we shall conclude. So, the last two topics I spoke about, so the the criminal damage to the door involving the, uh, what do we call that victim? It's been a couple of days since I recorded that segment. Was it Josie? I think we called her Josie. The, the last segment you heard, and then before that, uh, the colleague of mine, on a rotor before, um, and we talked about the the nine o'clock jury, the um, the AM assassins. Um, I was back at the uh, this 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 final segment should thread uh, those two together with a uh, with an overarching theme. I was in the office and I was writing up the the, the criminal damage job that we spoke about last, and I'm sat there tapping away on the keyboard. And next to me, a colleague of mine is, having recently come off the phone, staring into his screen, and uh, I turn around and say, you're all right, mate? What's up? And he says, I don't know, I'm going to fucking write this up. Um, she now wants to make a re- retraction statement. Um, she wants to go no further. Um is no longer supporting and um, she's getting engaged to the suspect I said hey I said yeah he said this um, this this woman who's reported all this abuse is now is now getting engaged to to her abuser I said right okay so has the whole has the whole thing dropped out for you do you think that it was bullshit to begin with and it was false allegations, or do you think she's being coerced? Or what's the score? And he said, 
I don't fucking know, mate. I've just got to write this up and um, try and wade my way through this. Um, I've tried exploring the controlling coercive elements of it. I've spoken to her in person so that she's not under duress, duress etc. And she's adamant she's going to retract it. And um, my colleague's been working on this one for, I think, a couple of months now. It's been rumbling on and it's it's gone already gone off to the CPS and it's come back and forth and they've they've given him actions to complete as they always do and he's been in the pro process of completing those actions and then further along to him another colleague was on the phone doing a sort of Del Boy impression trying to uh, trying to mitigate and mediate sorry mediate is the better word trying to mediate between two uh, two parties who are um, undergoing a divorce at the moment and he was saying something to the effect of I know you've got property there and we're not going to become, become involved with the, the, the ownership of that property that's a civil issue um, but he has said that if you're willing to not take this allegation of whatever my colleague was investigating any further then they'd be willing to drop um, they'd be willing to uh, talk about the property you've got there so effectively what, what he was doing is one party in this domestic was saying um, they're, so they're currently going through a divorce one party saying um, ex-partner has got some property at the address that I want and if I can have that property I will not support this this investigation any further and we'll, we'll leave it there and it, it occurred to me that not occurred but it, it was reaffirmed to me that a large part of what we do involves the domestic relationship. It is a, I think I could safely say a majority, the majority of incidents that, that response officers deploy to, that certainly that I deploy to, are domestic related incidents. And I sort of span round from speaking to my colleague about the initial, the initial situation, sorry, speaking to the colleague that I initially uh, referred to and thinking about getting this retraction statement for the the, the female victim who's no longer supportive etc and I thought why is that why is it that so much of what we deal with centers around the the domestic relationship um, and 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 particularly within the domestic forum, the 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 intimate relationship. So, of course, domestic as an umbrella term can cover father son, father daughter, uh, brother sister, uh, mother cousin, whatever. But primarily, what we deal with is partners, boyfriends, girlfriends husbands, wives, wives and wives, husbands and husbands, boyfriends, boyfriends, girlfriends, girlfriends, etc. The intimate domestic relationship. Now why is that? And it made me think of one of the Jordan Peterson lectures on the Bible. And I think I will, I will link it in the, in the podcast description. I think it's the fourth or fifth in the series. Um, 
it's about self-consciousness and the the lecture centers around the story of Adam and Eve particularly around the if if memory serves me uh, around the uh, the words in Genesis that I read right at the start of this podcast um, about the the snake uh, leading Adam and Eve to temptation with the apple and about their uh, eating from the tree of knowledge and gaining an awareness that they were naked and therefore being embarrassed and shamed in front of God and hiding in the Garden of Eden uh, and then being banished henceforth from its perimeter uh, never to return and uh, to be as we are now mortal people so the the historicity of Adam and Eve is, is not something that I'll be discussing here I'm interested in the subject of conversation that Jordan Peterson discusses in that lecture series and that is what is that moment where Adam and Eve realise that they're naked. This is, a, for me, a powerful observation that he makes. I've, I've, n- I've never thought about the story in these terms before, and I'm, I will do, a, I will do a poor job at paraphrasing this because, well, there's only one person that can speak in the manner that he does, and, and I'm, I'm not even close to, to what he can do with words. But the long and the short of it is this. The awakening that the characters undergo is the process of realising their own humanity. And in doing so, they realise exactly how they can be hurt how they can be wounded, how they are vulnerable. But there's a second order realisation that occurs there that is not explicit in the text. And that is by realising all of those elements about themselves. They also, by definition, realise it about other people. And so the becoming conscious of Adam and Eve is the bringing into awareness within mankind as a species of how to hurt other people. It is for this process that we need a word like malice. So that the knowledge that is eaten from that tree is the knowledge of ourselves how we are vulnerable how we can be wounded and thereby how others are vulnerable and how others can be wounded we learn how to hurt others by learning that we can be hurt ourselves and we know in precisely what ways we can be hurt. And I thought about this, sat in the office thinking about the overwhelming 
overwhelming majority of our work being domestic related and uh, within that intimate domestics. And I was reminded of something that the, the last victim that I mentioned said to me whilst I was taking details. She told me as I was speaking to her that he, the suspect, could do things that would not to anyone else appear abusive, but they would wound her deeply. And that, for me, was exactly the same observation that Jordan Peterson makes in those lectures on Adam and Eve and the self-consciousness of the human species. Because he, that domestic suspect, knew her, the domestic victim, so well, he knew exactly how to wound her, exactly how to hurt her. And I think that is why we deal with domestics at such a high frequency. I think that is why they occupy that amount of percentage within the work we do. Because within our domestic relationships, we learn the other person intimately. And therefore, we learn how to hurt them how to wound them. Within domestic relationships, the two people become a single entity of sorts. They become one unit in space and time. And when the separation occurs, or when it is occurring, each party knows how to wound the other. And all they need to do to discover that knowledge is ask, how would I be most hurt myself? It is a fair question to ask then, what do we do about this? How do we, as police officers, respond to this problem? And it is here, I'm afraid, that we hit the limits of the warranted constable, of the criminal justice system, of the state. We can and must react to these incidents when they occur. We must, of course, respond to crimes within the domestic environment, to incidents and patterns of controlling and coercive behaviour, and to abuse where it occurs. But these are, as I say, reactions. To prevent this, to combat this type of malice occurring. 
that is a far deeper problem than the state is capable of tackling. The state, the criminal justice system, the warranted constable, is a crooked instrument for dealing with such a nuanced problem. I believe that the only preventative measure, and I wouldn't even go as so far as to say that it is ultimately curable, the only preventative measure where we can work towards a situation where less of this type of malice is being enacted into the world is a problem for the individual. It is a force that must be battled with at the level of the individual, not of the state, of the criminal justice system, of the police officer. And how exactly that is done is, I'm afraid, given the time that this podcast has now been going on for, a question for another day. So we'll wrap it up there. And it is done. Thank you so much for staying the course. Thank you for bearing with me and with the format. I hope the content in some way makes up for the, the shoddy format, the poor cuts and the, the explanations and rationalizations of me uh, explaining myself and my poor editorial skills. Sometimes, as we say in the trade, you have to suck it and see. And uh, this won't be something that we're doing again. But nevertheless, we, we press on, we learn and move forward. Um, administrative points at the close. Like, share, subscribe if you would. It makes a great difference to me. Also, reviews, apparently. Uh, reviews on, on Apple Podcasts in particular are useful for the for the expansion of the podcast. And the, the expansion of the podcast uh, is 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 done with one objective in mind and that is to to open this forum of discussion uh, as insofar as is possible uh, among as many police officers as possible and indeed the the, the wider public uh, but my, my commitment is for mostly to the warranted constable um, so please t uh, t tell your friends tell your enemies uh, tell tell anyone who will listen to you uh, about about the podcast about the show uh, i know personally that i don't i've never uh, searched for a podcast based on the, the the title or the content and and thought oh, i'll give that a listen it's always all of my my podcast library has been recommended to me at some point uh, by a friend or nemesis so please if you do enjoy the show if you like the podcast if you think that there is uh, some utility in the conversations that we're having here do pass it on uh, equally, if you just want to uh, mug me off as some uh, jumped-up cunt who does a does a podcast about about policing and you want your mates to be on the joke, share for that reason. Um, I'm, I'm 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 into that as well. Um, I think that is about it. Feel free to message me on Instagram at ukcoppodcast. Dots between the words, but there's no one with a name even close to that, so you don't worry about the dots on searching. Um, was there anything else? Again, sorry for the delay. I will endeavour to do to do better to improve myself by you and uh, by Her Majesty at large. Okay, I have got a hard track 
from the the analects of uh, of wordsmithery, from the the rawest form of uh, uh, of wordcraft uh, rap. It is till I collapse by Eminem. Should we do this fucking dance? really help if it would play. There we go. Oh, it's good. It's dark, it's so moody. Okay, my friends. The parting message. Stay safe. Look after each other. Keep sallying forth against the agents of evil the monsters that walk among us. Maintain your commitment to the good. Weaponize yourself against evil. Look after each other. Keep getting it done. Most importantly, we will RVP here again to do this once more. Bye-bye. through a wall.